From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. It already happened. The dam broke. The damn dam broke. <sighs> I like to scream in jubilance to start out the show on Fridays. We're in the Finley Toyota Studios. It's Cofield. John Von Tobel. Damon. You know, from a radio show standpoint, mm-hmm. the conference chaos is good content. But from a work responsibility standpoint, we all had a lot of stuff going on today. And... It's funny, we were out at UNLV football practice this morning, the first practice. It's one of the beats we cover. And when the news started coming down about the Big Ten poaching the Pac-12, I'm just like, I don't have time for this today. <laughs> now, it's not all about me. And there's a lot to get to with this. Um, <laughs> you want the news that just came down five seconds ago? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. Because uh, we're going to get to Oregon and Washington and the Big Ten and what looks like the Big 12 stealing more teams, and what could happen to the Pac-12. But I hear almost no one say this. I'm just going to throw it out there. And and some of it is because John and I are lucky enough to actually work around the schools. And most college media, college sports media people, mm-hmm. uh, are around the people who work in these sports, the athletic departments, the support staff. Um, unfortunately, most of the voices that you hear – and see, here and see, um, the voices you see on social media, a lot of them don't work at around schools. They don't go to games. They're not at practices. They don't see any of that side of it. And that's, that's a lot of the content creators. And, again, I'm not bashing them, but they're part of, you know, after Brett McMurphy and Pete Thamel and Dan Wetzel and Pat Forty and Ross Dellinger and John Wilner and John Canzano – and Brett McMurphy, that I mentioned him twice. Anyway, there's a, a good 12 or 15 guys. Dennis Dodd is in the, I'm not going to say he's in the pocket of the Big 12, but big Big 12 guy, right? After those guys who are sourced and are fed stuff and do their homework, and there's a lot of other good people too. Then there's the people who have sources. It's one source, and they're on the internet, and they're on Twitter, and they become a media person on Twitter. And I, I don't hate it. Believe me, I'm probably going to be in that position once I get fired here, when I eventually say something stupid that finally gets me in trouble. It's coming. I'll be doing that, right? It's coming. But I just got to say, while people are concentrating on money and the race to be amongst the haves, mm-hmm. all of this conference chaos does suck for, one, regional rivalries, two, local rivalries. I mean, a few more went down today. It sucks for athletic departments in certain places. It sucks for a lot of the athletes who expected to be playing one set of opponents, and they were promised that, and their parents bought into that. And, hey, a lot of the games will be regional, and you guys can all go to the games to see your kid play. It sucks for them. I think, in a way, it sucks for the student body because you grow up, you go to a school, maybe you were a sports fan, maybe you're not, but you've grown accustomed to disliking this school or that school and getting used to going to these games and being fired up. Those things are going to go away. This mostly sucks 
these big mega cross country conferences really blow for the Olympic athletes, the mm-hmm. Olympic sports athletes, which are really big deals in a lot of places. Now, right now, we're looking at Stanford being on the outside looking in, which is absurd. They're one of the richest athletic programs and schools in the entire country. And because people don't have regional knowledge, they're like, ah, eh, screw Stanford. Like, screw Stanford. But it blows for the Olympic sports. How the hell are they going to build these conference schedules now with travel? And there's so many other things that are just wrong about what's going on. And the sad thing is, none of it had to happen. And there's going to be books written about what will be the collapse of the Pac-12, John. And it's sad. There's a lot of reasons that go into it, but... At the doorstep, in the legacy of Larry Scott, the former commissioner, a lot of these presidents right now around the Pac-12 and the guy who was deemed to be the next dude who was going to save everything, hey, it's not so bad, let's put it all together, George Klyavkov, you know, Vegas guy, MGM guy, we are that much closer to one of the great historic conferences with all these regional rivalries in all these great cities just going in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. It's hard to fathom. And I know there's a lot of people out there like, told you so. Do you realize how massive this is? And I know it's been brewing, but now how quickly in like an eight-day period it's just happened. And I'll go the other. You know what this sucks for? The image of leadership. Because the leadership along the way from the guys I just mentioned – to regents and power brokers at all these schools. By the way, power brokers and leaders at schools that are already in the Power Five because they're not setting a great example of leadership. And we can say it a million times. I don't ever want to hear an adult over 30 years old, and especially an adult in power, ever talk about putting guardrails up for the kids who are making money now. Get the frig out of here. You guys are the ones setting the example. This is totally embarrassing. I know looking forward there could be some things to get excited about. We'll get to the the look for UNLV. And I'm sorry I go on the long rant to start the show, but I'm just I'm blown away at what's happening and how quickly it's happening. And I I should have known because we've already gone through this once before, the childishness, the pettiness among so many people who are tasked with being leaders. This is monumental. But yeah, the news is out today that the Big Ten had been talking behind the scenes, had done their research on Oregon and Washington. And Oregon and Washington are going to be going to the Big Ten. Portland and Seattle Mm -hmm. will be in the Big Ten. Wow. Which is basically going to force some other schools to go, we have no choice. We got to go to a lesser conference. We got to go to schools that we don't have likeness with. What are we going to do? Yeah. Uh, And for me, that's been the thing that's been – pretty surprising has been the quickness with the, the rapidity with which this has all happened you know from the reports what was it late last night or early this morning is like hey man we just they, all the pac-12 looks like it's going to get saved all we have to do is you know get this agreement and well we got to sign these papers and dot these eyes like oh wait no that's not going to happen and oregon and washington are on, are on their way out and now it's a sinking ship and everybody else every, pretty much everyone for themselves Go find out where you're going to go because, and I was wrong. I thought the Pac-12 was going to be able to stick around. Maybe you throw in a sweetheart deal for Oregon and Washington to keep them around with this new media rights deal. But as we talked about the other day, you know, I, I thought the Apple TV deal smacked of desperation when it came to the format and how much money these schools were going to make. 
it definitely looks poor in consideration to every other deal that we were talking about, right, Big Ten and the others. And what's going to now be the Big 12, because they did get their other Power 5 conference, or excuse me, their other Power 5 school, it seems. So it is kind of shocking to see how quick this is all not falling apart because you're getting massive conferences coming together, but at least for the Pac-12, falling apart and having all of these teams just jump ship or programs jump ship and go, you know what? Screw the athletic sports. Screw everything else. Football is king right now. We need to go get our money, and we're going to go get it right now. And it's been pretty surprising to see how quickly this has gone. You feel good about this? I'm not one who really grew up loving college football and what it meant for a lot of – you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the pomp, the circumstance, the rivalry. I mean, look – we cover the program now. I enjoy covering the program. I grew up with UNLV football in my backyard. It's not something that I got overly attached to, right? My college football experience was coming out to Sam Boyd and watching a team get its face kicked in quite a bit. So I never really got into the significance of rivalry and whatnot until much later in my, in my life. I will say that for me, it doesn't bother me, but I understand why it would bother a lot of people. Yeah. I don't know, I'm sad for the West Coast. I'm sad for the Mountain Time Zone. Um, you know, all these cities that have these college traditions going sure. back years and years and years. There's so much more to college athletics than just the football program. Uh, I don't think it's a, a great day. Uh, I don't think creating a system of a big group of haves and then I don't know what the hell happens. If you're not in the final 80, and I think that's what the number is going to be, mm-hmm. I don't know what happens beyond that. I don't think football goes away at all these places. Um, you're just not going to get a real chance at a championship. You're not going to get a chance at making – the big money kids. There's more kids now that, that can play than ever, so they're going to find somewhere. Uh, but yeah, what a what a devastating day, especially if and we're going to find out in a couple minutes what's going on with Arizona and Arizona State, and then the domino that could hit Utah. We're going to talk to one of our buddies, Vince Murata, who does radio in Phoenix. What was the other breaking news? Was it was it about uh, the Big oh, Twelve? That, uh, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah uh, will be joining the two uh, Big Twelve in 2024, pending formal approval. So that's it. Yep. So that's official too. Pac-12 so, is down to four teams now. So five schools are gone since officially gone. Just about ninety-nine percent gone since we did our last show. Yep. I mean, this is stupid. It's embarrassing. It's sad. I'm annoyed. You should be annoyed. Well, you know what? We'll get to what still is, I think, a glass half full situation for a lot of the Mountain West Conference schools. But man, there's. So much to sort out. All these great leaders making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Worried about the kids making money. And look what they just did. They couldn't hold it together. They all crapped themselves. What a way to start off the Friday show. Cofield and company, I'm not happy. I'm a lunatic to to begin with. Lunatic to begin with, John. You know that. And this Pac-12 thing has just sent me over the freaking edge. And then technology... I, 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 there's another rant I can go on. I don't understand what this Musk guy did with Twitter. Prove I, it? I don't understand. I'm now paying. It's called Z It now. sucks worse than ever. Come on. It is called Z. Thank you very much. I just want stuff to work. I just want West Coast football and sports to play West Coast teams, and I want my stuff to work. Ah! Right, let's go down to Phoenix. I thought this was going to be the big story today, the first shoe that dropped, which was Arizona and Arizona State would decide, hey, you know what, we're going to the Big 12, and now the moves are going to be on, but Oregon and Washington of the Big 10 beat them to the punch. Vince, how you doing, buddy? This is a crazy day. Oh, my goodness. It's a crazy day. When you said you're, you're mad about Pac-12 football and Twitter, man, you couldn't have echoed my sentiments more. 
Well, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know enough about your background and how much you guys cover college football and how much Arizona and Arizona State mean to you guys and the audience. So fill us in on this. Um, I just think what's gone down the last couple of days is so stupid. It didn't have to happen. I don't even get – I mean, I guess be excited because you're getting $10 million extra bucks. You're making some money, but rivalries are gone. Travel is up. It just This all seems so dumb to me. It, it doesn't make sense to me either, but, I mean, and you can cut the, the blame pie into about a hundred different pieces. You know, the, the, the television networks get most of it. You understand it. It's all about revenue for them. They don't really care much about the, the history, the rivalry, the tradition of, of college athletics. That's been proven. But how do, how do you go as the commissioner of the Pac-12 in George Klyovkov, who inherited a mess, by the way, how do you go more than a year without responding to two of your charter schools, basically, in Los Angeles leaving, and you do nothing about it. There was not a counter move. How many other conferences would have tried to pounce and be aggressive and maybe poach teams from other conferences to keep alive what you have? Fourteen days ago, he stood in Vegas with a straight face and said the conference is in better shape than it's ever been. Really? It's like that scene at the end of Animal House when Kevin Bacon is yelling all is well while all hell is breaking around him. It's unfathomable to me. Is it him, because it is him in large part, or is it the arrogance of presidents around the conference who would not come together? There's that, too. I mean, we still don't know the, the, the gory details of what that Apple deal that Klyovkov presented on Tuesday were. It, it must have been so bad that there was no choice. Because I do believe, with the reporting and the, the roller coaster of reporting that went on early this morning with, hey, the Pac-12 is dead. Hey, they're getting together. They might sign this, this grant of rights. And then it was dead again immediately. I think ultimately the nine schools that were remaining and the presidents that were representing those schools wanted to keep it together. But it just didn't seem feasible. So, you know, at that point, it's, it's, it's every man for himself. And unfortunately, here we are. Is there any positive way to spin this in terms of these schools just jumping ship and going off and breaking up these rivalries? Is it, hey, you know, at least some of these programs get more money to inv- put back into the school? Is, is there any positive way to spin this? I mean, there's that. I mean, you have the possibility of creating new rivalries over the, over the course of time, but I guess in, in Arizona, you know, we we don't take a, a ton of phone calls on our show, but we opened up the phone lines today, and one of the prevailing thoughts from both sides of the Territorial Cup rivalry was, you got to keep ASU and U of A together. So, you know, Arizona's gone. ASU's applied for, for membership into the Big 12, so I guess that's a silver lining, but it, it just all seems so dirty to me. Can you tell us about the leadership at Arizona? I've, I've had people um, you know, point the finger of blame, one of the fingers of blame, Many uh, much blame to go around to lots of people. Uh, talk about the leadership at Arizona. Uh, well, it's uh, two different styles, really. Um, for, for Arizona State, in, in our backyard here in the Valley in Phoenix, Michael Crow's been the president for you know 22 years, I believe. And what he has done to advance the size, the footprint, the academic reputation of Arizona State is, is unreal. Uh, and you tip your cap to the man for that. It's you know, they're a member of they're an AAU institution now. After being the butt of yep. pop culture jokes yep. for yep. for forty years, yep. they're now in that in, in that exclusive club. The frustration that Sun Devil fans have with Michael Crow and Athletic Director Ray Anderson is that that same sort of aggressiveness they have in terms of footprint and academics has not bled over into athletics. Um, you know, there's been this 
this storyline of ASU being the sleeping giant forever, and they haven't done much to wake it up. And I know Pete Thamel used a similar line in, in one of his columns on ESPN, and he's, he's exactly right. Uh, Robert Robbins at Arizona, um, I, you know, you know, I'm on the Sun Devil side of that rivalry, but I have to tip my cap to him, uh, the way he handled the situation. I thought he was patient. I thought he was mature. I, I thought he waited as long as he could possibly wait until you know everything was on fire around him to make that jump. So uh, they did what they had to do as well. Vince Murata is with us, 98.7 in Arizona, does Bickley and Murata. In the mornings, that is a great point about the academic part, that Arizona State has you know, made itself go from party school and a joke to an AAU university. They were with all these elite schools in the Pac-12, and now they're going to be matched up with a bunch of freaking, I think, glorified junior colleges in the Big 12. So I guess everyone out there who wants sports to matter at ASU, it matters right now. Yeah, I, I just made that point in something that, you know, blurb I wrote for ArizonaSports.com. The Pac-12 conference had the number two, the number 10, the number 11, 12, 16, 22, and 29 television markets, and 10 of its 12 members had AAU academic status, and it's, it's now gone. Yep. It's <laughs> How do you do that? That's just hubris. That's, you know, thinking you're, you're too big to fail, I think, is, is the, basically the storyline for the leadership of the Pac-12. What do you think Arizona – well, you probably talked to some. What do Arizona basketball fans think of this? They already were losing some of their rivals, and obviously UCLA is a rival, and – now off to the Big 12, which is a good basketball conference. It is uh, a tremendous basketball conference, but I don't know. Uh, I, I, everything is Almost everything is cyclical in college sports. Now, Arizona, they've got a very good basketball program, and I think that will continue. Kansas is a true blue blood program that competes for national championships. I think everything else is cyclical. I mean, can we count on Baylor and Texas Tech to, to be you know good in basketball in, in perpetuity? I, I don't know. Right now, I mean... The attractiveness of that basketball conference next year is off the charts. But, you know, we know football moves the, 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 the meter more than college uh, basketball does. Does this change recruiting footprints? Or we're just we're going so national with all these conferences that Arizona, Arizona State can still go in to California for football players and go, hey, you know what, come, come play for us. You're not going to play, uh, you know, anywhere near California anymore, but hey, we're still in a Power Five conference. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point because, you know, Arizona State traditionally was always recruiting Texas anyway, so this probably helps on that front. The California thing is weird because the two LA schools are now in in a Midwest conference, so does that give Cal and Stanford first dibs on on California kids that want to stay close to home? My head is spinning from all of this. There's so many different angles that just don't make sense to me. Vince Murata is with us on Cofield Company, ESPN Las Vegas. Feel free to call me a dork because I've been ranting about it. Seriously, I, I need advice from other people and just like lighten up. Um, I I try to take up for the Mountain Time Zone and the Pacific Time Zones, and I feel like we're undercovered out here. And I think that's part of the reason the Pac-12 just blew up. And Larry Scott screwed it up by not having the freaking conference on TV for like ten years mm-hmm. with Directv mm-hmm. and the Pac-12 Network. Should we be concerned about coverage being too northeast biased, too Midwest, too South? I, man, I feel like. I mean, I thought the Nuggets were a great example. It was like people were just discovering in the NBA Finals, like, oh, Jokic, oh, he's really good. And it's because mm-hmm. the, the coverage from much of the country for us out here sucks. And I, I don't know if – I don't think this is going to help. No, uh, to your point, too, I mean, we went through it here in Phoenix in, in two seasons ago in the NBA when the Suns unexpectedly got to the Finals. There was this 
this epiphany around the league for, for those of the people that were saying, hey, the Suns got breaks because everybody they played was injured. Right. But, hey, this team's pretty good, and, and that shouldn't be the realization in the NBA Finals. So the Denver point is perfect. I don't think you're a dork. I think you're right on the money. I think it's been neglected and ignored, and people in the West Coast hated to hear about it, but it exists. The East Coast bias exists. All this does is make that stronger. So now you've got Western teams playing in Midwest and Eastern conferences. Yep. Uh, it, like I can't ha- make it make sense. We had to go East to survive. And then, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say it from this standpoint. You're in a city where people want to live. It's growing. We're in a city where people want to live. It's growing. And now we're beholden to areas. I just, you know, I don't want to go too deep on it, but now I feel like we're beholden now to areas where people are stuck or don't want to live. It just, this whole thing is crazy. Uh, Vince is also the uh, PA voice of the Suns. So, what do you think of the off season? Um, some, you know, some big names moved. Some big names stayed around too, though. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about a crazy off season for the Suns when uh, the the Beal trade goes down. It was one of those things that started as a rumor, and there's so many crazy NBA rumors, and most of them get dismissed pretty immediately. And then you think to yourself, and you hear from insiders that say this has a chance to happen for them to go get Bradley Beal for Chris Paul. And then the thought is, hey, how, how can they fill out a roster um, you know, with only veteran minimum contracts? They've got three, four guys making over $35 million next year. I think the next highest paid is Eric Gordon making about $3 million, But somehow they pulled it off. Um, it's exciting. I mean, it's really exciting for longtime Suns fans that have been close uh, and never, never been the champion to you know, have ownership now and Matt Ishbia coming in in his first Six months on the job and completely changing the the, the you know, landscape of how they're going to do business. They're going to do everything they can to win a championship, and uh, that hasn't really been in existence here in Phoenix with the Suns since Jerry Colangelo was here, and not even he was uh, as aggressive as Matt Ishby has been. And as well, they have a new TV deal set up, right? Like, is this going to be free for viewers now? So it's not only exciting, but more people can watch. Yeah, I mean, they're going the opposite way from all this streaming stuff, and, and they're putting their games back on over-the-air television. So if, if you're a cord cutter or you don't want to subscribe to streaming services, look up your rabbit ears and you'll be able to watch Suns basketball again. It's, it's kind of a, a refreshing throwback and a refreshing attitude by ownership, too, to say, you know, the money will take care of itself. We want to be available to as many potential Suns fans as we can. And they've accomplished that goal, too. Yeah, so if somebody's in the building for every game, like how does that come back into the building, essentially, right? Because more people watch, more people get excited, then more people want to go? Yeah, I, I, I guess that's the, the way it works. Um, you know, the, the demand for tickets. You know, I've had this, this job going into my eighth year as a PA announcer. And when I started that job in 2016, I, you know, part, part of my compensation is I get tickets to give away. I couldn't give away tickets. Uh, you know, I ate most of them. Uh, they just went unused. And in the last four years, it's just been the complete opposite. The, the demand for tickets, the interest around the, the Valley has been off the charts again. So it's been fun. Vince Murata, ArizonaSports.com 98.7. Uh, in closing, i got to say this, and maybe you're not the one who needs to hear it, but uh, nice job with the videos. I actually watch a lot of the uh, videos you guys put out, especially up on TikTok. I think I watched you guys throw support behind the arena plan for the hockey team, so I was learning stuff there, but you guys are doing a really good job on that front. Thank you. I will uh, I'll pass that along to our video team. I'll be delighted to hear it. They have a video team. Yes, they have a team. <laughs> you can tell they have a team. It's mostly just Steve over well, here. Well, we have a team. Yeah, we, we're, it's a developing team. Uh, Vince, have a great weekend. We appreciate you stepping up on relatively short notice. Thank you. 
Oh, no worries, guys. Have a great weekend. There he is. Vince Morato, longtime radio guy in Arizona, Arizona State, Arizona, and Utah, all applying to the Big 12. I think they need the uh, final approval here. That'll probably come tonight, tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, in the matter of less than 24 hours since we did the show yesterday, Oregon and Washington are off to the Big Ten, and Utah didn't want to go to the Big 12 to be with those lousy schools, but now they have no choice. The Arizonas are gone as well. What a day. My head's spinning. We're doing a show in between a show. Like Every break, we were just talking about style of play. We'll have to get to that. So, again, I don't want to do this all day, but we're probably going to be inundated by the updating news on the Pac-12 getting smashed apart now by... Oregon and Washington moving, and then Utah, Arizona, Arizona State moving. We were out at UNLV football practice today, so I love football. John, you love football. You do. So just being out there, we actually got to watch the whole practice. That's a new policy enacted by Barry Odom. I've got all their secrets. I'll be tweeting them out. That's right. Um, I actually felt kind of dirty. Being able to watch everything? Yeah, just like watching everything and like taking pictures and just being like, is somebody, somebody going to come up behind me and be like, no! You know, I don't like to dig on the media, but I will. Um, you, know what, you know what's funny about coaches – and their cloak of secrecy. Uh-huh. I don't think that eighty percent of the people who go to football practices know what to look really for. know what's going on, or or even that interested. Right. I, I think most don't have the attention span to watch beyond about twenty minutes, and then they just, they just start talking to each other. So people aren't people aren't going to do. I'll give myself a little bit of credit. People aren't going to do what I did, which is when you sauntered over to me at one point, and I was standing in a corner of the field by myself. Watching the tight ends run blocking drills on were a sled. You, were you mad that I was coming over? Like, <laughs> no, is, is just going to talk. Like, no, there's just not that many people who would do. It. Like, I was interested, like yeah. listening to the calls and what it meant and what they were doing. It, well, it was very interesting to do. So, yeah. I, I'm right. big on trying to figure out the lineup and who's going to play and getting the depth chart and getting all the names out there. Right. Um, and in practice number one, you're not going to get that. But a couple of things we we did notice: uh, Barry Odom, who's coming over from Arkansas as the DC, uh, was the head coach at Mizzou. You can see his footprint for recruiting. There's going to be a lot of players they go after in the Missouri and, and Arkansas recruiting areas. Well, they brought in a couple of guys who were on the University of Arkansas. Um, one was a super highly touted dude in Jalen St. John, got in some trouble and was available. He's an offensive lineman. The other was Jackson Woodard, who by all accounts, a pretty good linebacker, but just could not break through on the Arkansas defense. He was a walk-on, um, so he just he couldn't kind of turn that corner against the or versus the scholarship players for playing time. But you know Odom's here, Michael Shear's here, so they were there. They're really high on this guy. And when we were tracking the ones and the twos and the threes, and I think it's going to change a lot during uh, fall camp, but uh, Woodard sticks out. He's number seven. He's a good-sized kid, but he's out there in the rotation. And uh, here's Odom talking about Woodard in terms of experience, leadership, and setting an example. Yeah, I think he's got leadership skills, played snaps, understand some of the things schematically we're doing on defense, uh, as do, you know, all the guys other than the, you know, some of the new freshmen at this point, because we had the spring practice. So, um, but I think maybe uh, some calmness in the room on setting the standard, but also making sure that he outworks and puts, he's not just talking about it all the time. He's showing by action and, verbally what a what a great leader needs to look like uh and we've got a lot of leaders on the team um he's one Jono just walked in he's another one of our great leaders and you know, we're we're relying on again we need we need locker room leadership and um needs to be done the right way and and that will carry us 
uh, we'll have adversity um, that will carry us uh, a, a great deal of opportunity working through that adversity will be because of our leadership and the core group in our locker room. Oops. Barry Odom, head coach, UNLV football. So talking about the linebackers there, and for the linebackers, we're still trying to figure out what they're going to play. They talk about playing multiples. The base D is a three-three-five, like San Diego State, New Mexico. Three-three-five. Uh, uh, I think they're going to have three-two sixes. Uh, John O is Jonathan Baldwin. He referenced six defensive backs. Um, I think there's the rare time they'll they'll go more traditional and have four down linemen. They're going to walk a lot of people up to the line. So there's going to be times there's only two linebackers on the field. I think Woodard is going to be one of the guys who's on the field a lot. I mean, he like the linebacker. So I was sitting there and talking with Caleb Herring when we were watching practice. And the position groups that stuck out, one of them was the linebackers just from their physical presence. It just looks like a much bigger and more physically dominant room between him, uh, Jordan Eubanks, who was out there, who really stuck out. Florida I, State transfer. Yep. Uh, I know that Marcel we were, McDuffie's a guy who's been waiting in the wings but was pretty highly touted. Um, we were watching Brendan Scott work on his knee because he's got that big knee brace, but he was working out there. So, uh, you know, there were multiple positions that really stuck out. But I, I thought linebacker looked, at least on like when you're talking about just – like looking the part of a linebacker and sticking out, that room definitely, I think, looked a lot different than what it's looked like in years past. It's had really talented guys, but not a lot of depth because mm-hmm. Jacoby Winman, a couple of years ago, both linebacker and defensive end, he was awesome. Ajake, the last couple of years, was great. Right. So they've had really good players. Uh, so they had to infuse some new people into the mix. And uh, don't forget, Jordan Hanna was a late addition, another Arkansas linebacker. So we'll see what he can do. The offensive line's a story, too, because they lost their center in Lee Fountaineau to Arizona State, now a Big Ten player. Go go check that. No, Big 12 player. I can now. I'm, I can't get by the way, yeah. I'm done. I'm done. I, I already can't get Missouri in the SEC, and that happened like seven years ago. Well, how many I'm years? I'm done. Actually, technically, how many, how many years do you have left, right? He might not be a Big uh, Big Ten player. He, I think he has two more. Oh, okay, so then he will be. Yeah. Well, Big 12. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, you screwed up. Because yeah, I screwed you up. Down. <laughs> So Leaf you have to went, change the names. The center, Leaf, went to Arizona State. Uh, Preston Nichols is still one of the more amazing players I've seen. Uh, six foot and 290 playing guard. <laughs> and Purdue called on him, and he went to Purdue. So he's out. So they're trying to rebuild the offensive line. And today I looked up, and I, you know, I tried to track this stuff for the fans. Left tackle during the spring was Marcus Miller. Not a whole lot of experience. The big kid from Arkansas, 6'4", 325, Jalen St. John, mm-hmm. played a lot of guard in the spring. Today he was out there a lot at – Left tackle, but uh, when I asked Barry Odom about it, he basically was like, let's pump the brakes. There's going to be a lot of switching be- uh, before the games are played. Tomorrow we'll probably be back the other way. We're just we're getting trying to see who the best five are and what spots they can play. So, you know, we've talked a, a couple times about this on you and I, just the, the ability to cross-train those guys because we need to establish who our five are. Okay, and then the next biggest – obstacle for for me is okay who is the next best center because if your top center goes down and you can't function because you don't have anybody else to snap the ball um, so we'll rotate a number of guys in there on what that looks like I think St. John you look at the work that he uh, has done changing his body um, in a good way the efficiency that he can move the quickness I think he can play all five spots and that's such a huge advantage for him and and obviously for us, and he'll get some center snaps. He'll get guard. We'll move Marcus back out uh, to the tackle spots. And also with Marcus, um, he's a veteran. He understands and uh, understands, you know, I think he can play for the five spots as well. I think it's one of the three biggest keys to the season, John. 
for UNLV football is the O-line. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say that about any program, but when programs have an O-line that is back and experienced, it's not a big question. It is one of the things they have to solve or nothing works on that offense or it doesn't work well without getting an efficient offensive line. Of course. I mean, well, then when you have a quarterback back there who today looked like he was really comfortable in the new offense who can have a really high ceiling if he's going to be healthy and available, but part of being healthy and available is not taking hits. And how do you not take hits? You have an offensive line that you can trust. Well, as John and Damon can tell you, I'm having issues today. Very up and down. I'm very up and down. I'm not happy with the Pac-12 breaking up. We were at UNLV football practice today, so I was kind of giddy about that. Mm. I was just kicking field goals with a Gatorade bottle, and we were talking about the uh, kicking race for UNLV. So it's a very up and down day, my friends. But football is back. We know the Raiders have been in camp for a while, and the Mountain West Conference teams are all getting into camp today. And if not, they got in last week if they have a week zero game. Jesse Kurtz covers the Mountain West Conference. He does color for Air Force, and we're going to get into Air Force a little bit here as we do UNLV opponent previews. What's going on, Jesse? Football is here. Yeah, it's great to be on in America's most exciting city and the yeah. most exciting time of the, uh, the year. So, you know, all is good. So I'm going to come out with a downer, and I've been, you know, I told our previous guest too, just tell me I'm a dork if I'm taking this too seriously. Yeah. I'm kind of sad about the Pac-12 breaking up. I think, and we can talk about this in a little while, I think uh, the Mountain West is going to make out okay in this whole thing. But how do you feel about seeing, you know, these rivalries go Bye-bye, Olympic sports are not in jeopardy, but now they have challenges, and it's all for the almighty dollar. Yeah, I think you summed it up well. Um, and I get all the reasoning, um, but as someone who fell in love with college athletics and college football, be specific as a young kid, we all fell in love with the game because of those things, because of those those rivalries that got you excited, you know, every third week, and if you're lucky to follow a team, maybe you know, almost every week, and the the excitement of the backyard brawls that meant so much to a state and um, to a league to see it all away and to see a league that has been around that predates our grandparents that has been so successful. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm I think it is a sad day for college athletics to. You'd be in this position, and it didn't just—it wasn't just today. I mean, this has been years leading up to this, and um, but here we are, and uh, we'll we'll try to make the most of it across the country. But to see those rivalries and the traditions that were so ingrained in college football and college athletics go away, you can't help but be a, a little bit sad and be a little bit nostalgic today, for sure. Well, I'm a terrible millennial, so I'm always looking forward. Let's go. Let's get this thing going. Um, Sounds like screw it. Let's. I mean, in all seriousness, I was I was actually telling this to Steve off the air. I mean, this is kind of a, a good thing for the Mountain West, though, right? Because now the Mountain West can come calling, pick up whatever's left of the Pac-12, and then in two years, when the media rights deal is up, let's go. Let's go. We got some good teams. We've, we're building up this conference. Let's get some more money. All sounds good in theory. Um, I mean, there's so many wheels in motion with this stuff, and just for. For anybody, including myself, to, to sit here and predict the future as the way this might go, the way that this morning went um, was so fluid and ever-changing for about three hours. So um, I, I do know this. Um, Gloria Navarra is, is as detail-oriented and as prepared as any leader I've ever worked for. Um, I have the utmost confidence in, in what she is doing, has done, um, along with the presidents being aligned with her, as to what the best play for the Mountain West is. Um, they've been you know, hard at work since the moment she got hired with trying to put the Mountain West in the best position. Should A happen? Should B happen? Should C happen? 
um, and be ready to be nimble and act appropriately. Um, and that doesn't always mean, you know, do something. Sometimes that means nothing. But I'll guarantee she has had her finger on the pulse of all of this from day one and, and certainly will act on the best uh, in the best interest of the Mountain West. And um, she's been tremendous since the day she stepped in. So um, I, I don't know if it's a great day for the Mountain West. I can't help but get away from it. It's a tough day for college athletics as a whole from my position for all the reasons that I identified. But um, I am excited about everything the Mountain West has here this year with the 25th season and, and uh, looking forward to the 12 institutions that we have today um, playing out and playing for uh, a new look championship game. So it is an exciting time in the Mountain West, and uh, I can't wait up here in a couple of weeks. So let's talk Air Force. This is kind of crazy. They were second uh, in the Mountain West Conference poll. Uh, they've been there, so I think there's a lot of respect there. Um, they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. They have an all-time running back who is gone. Were you surprised to see him pick second? And you, you can make the segue right into the offense. What is going to happen to quarterback and that lead running back? So I was not surprised. I thought that they would sit somewhere between two and four, um, two being the highest. Um, but I, Air Force this year, I think, if you put their starters on paper and, and rank them one through 22, I do think three through 22, this is as talented or more talented of a team that we've seen in a long time at Air Force. The problem is one and two being the most two important players are both being replaced, Right. Uh, and not only are you replacing a quarterback in a very complex system, the three guys that, at least on the surface, that played last year that would have first crack at maybe being the starter um, don't have a lot of experience. Jensen Jones, Ben Britton, Zach Larrier, um, because Hazik Daniels was so dependable and so good, those guys rarely got in games. Now, that doesn't mean they couldn't come in and just wow everybody, but there's a major unknown at the most important position in sports and certainly on that team. And then you throw it in, you're missing the, the Mountain West player of the year, the, the reigning Mountain West offensive player of the year in Brad Roberts, who if you take COVID out of the, out of the equation where he missed six games, and I think he missed two more because he was out because of an illness, um, he would be Air Force's all-time leading rusher, passing the Dallas, passing Bo Morgan, passing – um, Blaine Morgan. Those are some, like, that's like the Mount Rushmore Air Force football. He would be there and probably is still, um, but he was that good. So to replace those guys and not really know who the guy is, um, that's being battled out as we speak over on the practice field. Um, those are big, but I think people looked at the amount of, uh, and the, the consistency they've had at the staff level under Troy Calhoun. That this could be a very, very good time, very, very good team, especially defensively, where they were the number one defense statistically in the country last year, and a lot of guys are back. What goes into playing quarterback for Air Force? Because I think a lot of people look at an option offense and go, well, he's, he's handed the ball off. Like, what's the big deal? Uh, why is it such a loss to have a Hazik Daniels uh, move on? Well, number one, um, dependability and being tough. I mean, to, to take the amount of hits that you take in that offense, uh, you got to be tough, and, and your teammates have got to know that you're going to be there each and every snap, each and every practice. Um, and we've seen a lot of guys get banged up at that position. The best of the best, Hazik Daniels being one of them, kept getting up and kept showing up and kept delivering. Um, so that's number one. Two, being super smart because there are so many things at play in a certain play. 
if you are running some sort of an option, there's three or four places that you have to make reads on the fly in split second and make the right move. And then leadership. I mean, that whole place is built on leadership, and that is built on leadership. So it, all three of those things have to be at the top level to be one of the all-timers at the Air Force Academy and be a real player. I think Daniel's a three-year starter, the Tim Jeffersons and, and Sean Carney's being four-year starters. Those are special players. And to get those three things packaged into one specific player is tough. Um, and it's tough to have multiple guys um, with a starter and a backup. So that's why it's so tough. The decisions on the fly and the amount of hits that you take. And mind you, it's usually a smaller body. This isn't a big kid usually that plays quarterback. Maybe a little bit thicker and strong, but we're not talking 6'4", 220. So it's tough to, to be... Uh, in the lineup each and every Saturday, but the best of the best do it. Jesse Kurtz from the Mountain West Network, uh, color voice of Air Force on the football side is with us. we got a minute left. Uh, the game against UNLV, we're doing our opponent previews, is uh, near the end of the season, November 18th. It's up there. Uh, hopefully the weather will be nice. Last time UNLV nope. was up there, it was no, actually <laughs> last, last time UNLV was up there, it was actually it was hot. I put on sunscreen. It was like uh, low seventies. Um, yeah, boy, UNLV. It's a whole new defense, so we're, we're finding out about this three-three-five and Odom's version of it, like SDSU plays and New Mexico plays. Last year was unreal. The defensive game plan by UNLV just did not work. Not having a defender over the center uh, resulted in just a walloping and. You would hope UNLV is more competitive. I know you're on the Air Force broadcast, but it has to be a better game, I would think. Well, Doug Brumfield didn't play in that game, so that will be a bit. If he's able to Good play point. in this game, I look forward to that, and that will be a great equalizer. Um, but you, you can guarantee that Coach Odom and his staff will look at the tape and say, this didn't work for us. Uh, how do we counter that? But the big, big reason that I think UNLV will be much more competitive in that game is they'll have their guy, Doug Brumfield, a guy that I was so impressed with last year, was so impressed with him at media day, and look forward to seeing him play in person. But playing at the academy in November, it certainly weather can be a factor. So, But I uh, look forward to welcoming you guys and, and getting a chance to catch up with you and seeing UNLV and Air Force renew that one. Jesse, we'll see you soon. We appreciate the time. Have a good weekend. Appreciate the invite, fellas. Have a good one. Yeah, last year was horrendous. And the year before was bad. Yeah. 42-7 last year, and honestly, uh, that was the beginning of the end for a lot of guys on the roster. I mean, I don't know if they were going to be coming back anyway, but it just it was ugly. Um, actually, that was two years ago up there. Last year at home was, was bad, too, because that was the game where Roberts just got the ball. Like It seemed like 25 straight times, and they, they didn't adjust the defense until too late. Yeah. I'm still amazed by watching last year up close. And what the um, it's crazy. What the defensive game plan was or lack thereof of allowing their strength to be just that, a strength, and not try in any way, shape, or form to stop it. Coming up, Big Ford 4, 4 o'clock hour. We go live in Reno, and, of course, we're here in Vegas. It's brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You can call the guys and the rest of the crew at Battleborn, 766-1400. Advice, if you need help, you got to call them.